Hey guys, it's Bryce. Today we have a really fun conversation about At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. Before we get started today, I just wanted to let you know I had some trouble with today's audio file. While editing, the file totally corrupted on me. Fortunately, I was able to recover it, and you still have the full conversation here. However, the recovery didn't leave the file completely unmarred. You'll hear a few digital hiccups, and at one point for like 5 seconds, the sound cuts out of one ear. Other than that, it's still fully enjoyable. Nevertheless, I apologize for any of these defects that may impact your time with us today, and I hope you'll stick around. Please be advised that in order to foster quality discussions in each episode, we will spoil the stories in each game and text we talk about. Good news is, 90% of the titles we cover are old enough that many of you might already know all about them. That said, we do encourage you to play and read before listening. Have you ever heard of bionic reading? I have, but I forget exactly what it is. So, uh, Shreya just sent me something about it the other day. It's this new app, I guess, that emphasizes that idea about how uh, the brain stores learned words and only some of the letters and most of most words are necessary before our brain just auto-completes them. So it's I like do the, know what you're talking about. I actually tried that and I read a lot faster. Oh, really? Yeah, it worked. Well, at least I don't seen examples, but it, you could read it very quickly. Huh. You just read examples, you said? Yeah, it was just like people just did pages of what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting cuz like what I saw they just bolded like certain letters in the in the the words so that you just like flowed right through the page instead of reading the whole word. Yeah, or, pretty much. Yeah. And that's kind of like how speed readers work, right? Their brain just like naturally focuses in that way. Yeah, when you speed read, you don't actually read the word in your head. Like, you don't have the internal voice. You just see the word, and you or you just keep going word to word very quickly. And it's more of just taking in the whole picture versus, you know, the exact word and what it means. Yeah, it's pretty cool that they, like, figured out a way to represent that for everybody. I guess it's, like, customizable to your personal reading style. I don't know how that works, but they said it, they do something to make anyone, no matter how you, no matter how your brain or your eyes work when you read, uh, helps you to read faster and comprehend better. I could be mistaken, but I believe it was developed for dyslexics. Oh, really? With dyslexia. I think so, because they don't have to focus on the whole word. Yeah. And the, so the letters don't get jumbled up in their head. It's just like, you know, certain letters are bolded so they can go through it quicker. It's pretty neat. It's like Swedish or something like that. This isn't an ad, by the way. I just wanted to talk about <laughs> it because <laughs> I always, I always feel like I'm a slower reader for how much I like to read, and I think I talked before on another episode how it, it just always seems like no matter what, I get stuck on, uh, I get stuck rereading and rereading to make sure that I'm actually absorbing what I'm, what I'm taking, what I'm, what my eyes are taking in, and not just like flowing through the book and then have no idea what I just read. Right. Anyway, welcome to Arcade Bookshop, where we talk about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. I'm Bryce Yoli, and I'm here with my pal, Caleb James. 
uh, my pal and cousin-in-law, Caleb James, as always. Uh, today we're talking about the novella At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft after last week's episode where we discussed the Super Nintendo game Super Metroid. So, why did we choose this book? Because we like mountains that make you go mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also, there's a lot of ancient architecture and civilizations that kind of goes with Metroid and monsters. Yeah, we all like good monsters. We were go- we were originally going to do War of the Worlds for uh, Super Metroid, but because uh, it kind of goes with the alien space thing. But uh, Caleb, smart thinking, uh, turned us towards this book instead. And uh, we kind of expressed in the last episode it was a pretty good move. It matched matched up pretty nicely. Uh, the two are the two the the book and the game are both about exploration with an emphasis on that like isolation feel that we talked about last episode, and especially with the atmosphere and the feeling of the unknown. I really liked it. I I think the only other Lovecraft stuff I've read is. The well, I read the Call of Cthulhu, the the short story, and the Color Out of Space, but uh, I had like no idea until you told me that there's this whole mythos around Cthulhu that I had no idea that this novella novella was part of it even. Um, but now I'm intrigued and I kind of want to read the rest. It's pretty cool. Like when you go through all the stuff, it gets a little overwhelming. But if you take breaks between stories and space it out it's a lot more enjoyable mainly because his prose is so dense and he uses 50 adjectives per paragraph but yeah uh the the actual hp lovecraft is one of those writers where his ideas and the things he created are vastly superior superior to the actual writing so people tend to love the idea of these ancient elder gods and these monsters and these civilizations that are so far beyond uh our understanding but they don't actually like his writing like a lot of people i've tried to turn on to hp lovecraft like oh i I, the story is cool but i did not like the writing so i couldn't finish it well i understand it's not easy really it it's a lot better if you already know what you're getting into like if you've already read a little bit of something by him then you go back to it but going into going just heading into lovecraft uh with no prior knowledge it is kind of hefty to daunting. Through. Yeah, like uh, just the just the fact for me that there's no dialogue that killed me when I first read it read, or read Lovecraft because I think anytime you read fiction, you assume you're gonna read dialogue, and even if you're not thinking about it, and just because like <laughs> I I don't know if anyone else thinks this way, but when I see dialogue on a page, I think oh an easy page, like yeah, like I'll jump through it. But it's never like that <laughs> when you read. It's never stuff. easy. <laughs> and I, I think there was one line of dialogue in this whole novella, and it's not even really dialogue. No. Uh, so it's it's really just blocks and blocks and blocks of text. However, if you like, I said if you've already familiarized yourself with Lovecraft, then you go into it. It's like really enjoyable, and you get into a rhythm of the way he talks and uh, describes things, and. Like even when he does use the big words, I think he he rarely uses them out of nowhere, and he rarely uses them in an isolated way that you're not gonna come upon that word again and eventually figure it out like figure out what it means and be familiar with it by the end of the story. Well, one thing you have to keep in mind when you read Lovecraft 
the original works were published in serialized form. So you wouldn't be reading at the mountains of madness like we did in one sitting unless you collected all the magazines and then read it. So when you read any of those kinds of stories from him, it might seem daunting when you have a hundred and something pages of this dense uh, prose without much dialogue. But if you're only reading, I would imagine 10 to 20 pages at a time. And then you have to wait. I don't know how long the, it took maybe weeks or a month for each issue to come out, but if you're taking a long enough break between, it wouldn't be so bad probably. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, this is the first uh, novella length I've read of his, uh, but I definitely felt like I mean, even the short stories I read before, they felt like at least the first one, they felt long. So yeah, I guess I probably wouldn't head right into at the mountains of madness. <laughs> if you've never read anything by him. No, stick with the one to two page stories if you can, yeah. like the Necronomicon and stuff like that, just to get a feel for it. And then build like the collection I have goes from his earliest publications to uh, the newest ones he had. So most of them went short to long, so it wasn't as bad. Uh, but even so, like at, at the Mountains of Madness was probably one of my least favorite Lovecrafts, hmm. probably because of the length. I like the imagery, but. I think it was the dialogue that got me because he has other stories that have dialogue. This one just did not. Oh, well, I guess I've never read anything that did uh, unless, I mean, I don't, I don't re really remember color out of space, but I don't, I'm pretty sure the call of Cthulhu didn't, or at least not very much. No, that was just all detail and narration. Most of them are narration, but like, uh, I'm, my probably my favorite Lovecraft story is the shadow over Innsmouth. And I'm pretty sure that had dialogue because it's like a guy that goes to this weird town and I think he's talking to the people and they're just they're not having it. They're like weird. Turns out they're weird fish people, but <clears throat> it's it's a, it's a pretty cool story. But uh, the, he does have stories that have dialogue. Uh, he actually goes to the point where it's even more difficult than the prose because some of the dialogue he has in these stories are these mountain people. And he gives them this really hard accent. The read is very difficult. Hmm. So I wouldn't recommend uh, diving into one of those stories either. So I, I looked at it a little bit, but th that book you showed me, is that all the, that's just the mythos, the Cthulhu mythos? Yeah, I have a separate H.P. Uh, Lovecraft collection that's supposed to be all of his work. So I maybe read over half of his work by reading that giant Cthulhu mythos book. <laughs> I didn't know, I thought I read everything. And then I, when I found the other volume of uh, his work, I was like, oh man, because he wrote a lot of stuff that wasn't in that universe. Right. Him and uh, him and Robert E. Howard, who did the Conan stories, were actually really close friends, and they would swap stuff. So Robert E. Howard actually wrote Cthulhu stories in the you know that universe and the mythos, and I'm pretty sure H.P. Lovecraft wrote stories in the Hyperbian Age that uh, the Conan stories are set in. So that's kind of cool. I never read either of their works in those regards, but I want to. Yeah, that's interesting. I had no idea that they like collaborated at all in any way like that. Yeah, they I had a pretty close uh, correspondence. Oh, <laughs> you know what? You would like the Conan stories a lot more than the Lovecraft stories. You think? He, Yeah, he turned out to be one of my favorite writers of recent. I mean, not that he's a recent writer, but <clears throat> of the recent pulp style stuff I've read, I liked him way more than uh, Ian Fleming, Raymond Chandler, and H.P. Lovecraft. Hmm. Because his is almost a literary style with these crazy action stories. Interesting. Well, that'd be cool. Maybe we can do that sometime. Well, I have a whole bunch of collections of his. I have almost all of his collections. So Sweet. Yeah. I also, we briefly touched on this last episode, but uh, as I was reading this, 
you know what? Let's do the synopsis first of this story. Just so everyone knows. So people know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so basically, in September 1930, a group of explorers they lead a disastrous expedition to Antarctica, and the surviving members of the team continue the original group's efforts. And uh, the main character Dyer, right? Yeah, he, William Dyer. Yeah, he um details the events in a sort of series of letters in the hope of deterring another group of explorers from returning to the continent and continuing exploration. And the, the events include the discovery of an ancient civilization older than the human race, uh, and realization of the Earth's past told through various sculptures and murals, and monsters. Monsters. A lot of this stuff, I guess... He was heavily, Lovecraft was heavily influenced by uh, mostly Edgar Allan Poe, I think. Yeah, that was his idol. Yeah. And then, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe. I was going to say, I didn't look into it, but you started talking about Robert E. Howard. I didn't know if he was inspired by Robert E. Howard or if they were at the same time. But Yeah, they were at the same time. Okay. Yeah, I guess it was heavily inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. That's his only novel. Yeah, and I never did. You ever read that? I haven't got around to it yet. I'm interested now. It sounds really cool. But as I was reading, I was thinking how familiar this story sounds, even though it, I like I don't. I've probably heard of it like in passing, but I never really like was aware of this book. But it's, it felt really familiar, and I googled, and it was basically the basis for the '80s Thing movie which we talked about last time, but I guess the thing, the John Carpenter movie was, it was influenced by this other novel, but the novel was like based on out in the ma- out, uh, at the mountains of madness. So essentially the thing is based on out the, at the mountains of madness. And it very much makes sense. It's kind of the same story. If you think about it. Yeah. It just gets a little more insane, but <laughs> action. Guillermo del Toro is supposed to be doing a, mountains of madness he's been trying to it's been in production forever like he's trying to it's in the works forever anyway but i heard he's actually making progress on making it now that'd be awesome i read that actually when i was looking stuff up about this that'd be exciting i've been keeping see. my eyes open since that nicholas cage color out of space movie came out and i really like that yeah I I, they got that. me interested in modern because with the technology now we can actually make cool movies based on the hp lovecraft works right yeah that was a sick movie I never unwrapped it, but we watched it on something before when it first came out, and then I ended up buy it, buying it on DVD. But I was thinking, I, I didn't know the necro, the whole Necronomicon thing was Lovecraft's either. And <laughs> I was like, was Evil Dead based on H.P. Lovecraft stuff? And it basically was. Yep. I had no idea about that. I thought that Did was you a- read the short story Necronomicon? I didn't. I, I, have, I think I have it, I think. It's only like two or three pages. It's about the mad Arab, I forget his name, Azaz, Arad or something. But I think he's basically, I want to say he goes to, it's been years since I read it, but I think he goes to Egypt and busts into a pyramid, Sphinx, you know, whatever, some kind of monolithic architecture. And I think he finds the Necronomicon and it gives you the details of how it came to be, I think. Um, Don't quote me on that because it's been forever since I read it, but it was, it's interesting enough. It wasn't a really good story. It wasn't even really a story, honestly. Oh, really? (laughs) It was just like, almost like the Call of Cthulhu. It's not really a story. It's just like something that happened. 
Right. But then the Necronomicon shows up all the time in stories after that, right? Yeah. So does does the Necronomicon get more interesting in other stories? From what I remember, it's always just like a background detail or a catalyst for information. Like, you know, in this one at the end, it says, I believe it was Dyer becomes an expert. He's the only one of the few people who's ever read the whole thing cover to cover. But it's never like a focus on most of the stories. Whereas Evil Dead uses it as like the main piece of the story. They open it. And if you read it, you summon evil and all that stuff. I don't think that ever happens in any of the Lovecraft stories from what I remember, but I've read so many of them. It's kind of, they jumble together and mainly just like the main stories stick out to me. But if you were to get one of the smaller stories that feature it and ask me about it, I wouldn't remember. Yeah. It's kind of just a way to make the story like add like a bit of spookiness or like, like Satanism to the (laughs) the backdrop of the story. Mm. I want to read the rest of the mythos because I want to, I want to understand this better. Now, I, did I did I read correctly that At the Mountains of Madness is like the conclusion of it? Or is that wrong? The conclusion of what? The mythos? Yeah. I don't believe so. Yeah. I mean, it didn't seem like that was right, but I thought I read that somewhere. Um, This was published after his death, I believe. Really? I believe so. 1936, when did Lovecraft die? Oh, I don't know. I didn't even look that up. I think that's what I remember. Um... Amazing tales or incredible tales or astounding tales, tales, I think. Astounding tales. There you go. Yeah, let me look up. Uh, I know the, the story came out in 1936. Mm. He died in 1937. Yeah, 37. So not quite after his death, but close enough. But yeah, he uh, he wrote this a lot sooner, I believe, than it was published. because People didn't want it because it was novella length. And like mm-hmm. I said, he published these in magazines in serial form. And it was just so long, I don't think he could get somebody to publish them. So at most of these stories, when they came out, they weren't in the order that he wrote them. So in like my collection, I'm pretty sure they put them in order. It's either in order by publishing date or canological order. I'm not sure like how it would actually go together in the, the mythos. But there were yeah. so many stories. I don't think it's really possible to put them together in a cohesive narrative because they weren't written like that. So you do have them at the Mountains of Madness as one of his bigger stories, but in my collection, I'm pretty sure it's in the middle somewhere. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I I really have no clue what is going on in these stories, as far as like the chronolo- chronology of it, and and what and how all these things relate to other things in his in his stories. Like, the, is this the first one that the Shogoths show up? I. Don't think so, but like I said, I don't remember. There yeah. are so many stories where these creatures are mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, but, but the Shogoths are basically the elder gods or the old ones or whatever you want to call them. I forget exactly what they're... Uh, I think they're just the elder beings in this story, but they were a race of alien, which goes into much greater detail in other stories, but basically it's before humankind ever came here, they were the rulers of Earth. And the Shogoths were creatures that they created to do their bidding, basically. They were like just slave beings that they created. They're just like these gelatinous blob things that could turn into anything. And uh, you do get one that comes up at the end of the story. It's very frightening if uh, you were to see it, I guess. But we don't actually get to see it too much. It's just like a black ball of eyeballs or something. Yeah. But 
these things are actually the precursor for human beings. Like we are biologically made from them in Lovecraft's universe. So we came right. from the Shogoth things or whatever. How weird. I actually forgot yeah. they said that. Yeah. So we're like all humankind was just a biological offspring of some monster. <laughs> so I don't know if that means we're related to the elder gods or not. Because I don't think the Shogoths are. I think they were just created. But what, right. what was the organic material they used to make them? I don't know. Yeah, that was confusing. They, yeah, they talked about how the elder ones or whatever they they created life on Earth. They came from space and made life on Earth. But what did they what did they use to make life on Earth? Do they just produce something? From their a bodies. lot of uh, Lovecraft's being I mean, they're like plant they're plant like monsters. So, well, everything is plant slash fish slash bird like. <laughs> they're just everything. Yeah. But the monsters in these stories, the problem comes about is you have their their elder beings ain't more ancient than anything we could ever comprehend. But the thing that gets weird is it's like religious, and they're gods. But then at other times, it's just like they're these alien beings from far along the cosmos, and they, they're not gods. It's like it always changes. I don't know what's the actual... Like from story to story? Yeah, it's yeah. like, are the depending on the people that are... Because there's a lot of cults in his work, too, that like worship these things. And like I so, said, in the, in the Shadow Over Ends myth, it's like these fish people that were breeding with some of them or something, or <laughs> making like... So... If we came from the Shogoths, are we, is it inbreeding? I don't know. Like, if how do you even breed with the thing? Or are they just turning us into stuff? It's like, it's very complicated. And the way he writes is hard to follow any of that kind of stuff because the details are always so murky and he never feels the need to explain. Right. And all the, at least in this book, all of this history comes from sculptures they find in the walls of, of this huge maze-like city that's basically under mostly underground a little bit right yeah yeah so the the main character is just describing these stories based on what he on the pictures he's seeing of these sculptures along the walls so well i didn't i didn't get why the elder beings were still in antarctica but were in a state of suspended animation because at the beginning they're exploring uh antarctica and they're they're looking at rocks or something like uh some kind of slate that has carvings or something unique in it. And then they they split up into two teams. And one of the teams that's run by a Professor Lake, they found like all these alien things, like eight or nine of them. A couple of them were very mutilated. And they're like these big, I think they have beaks and tentacles and almost like a, a squid, but more plant-like, if that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't explain. <laughs> it's, again, unexplainable. But they end up, when the one team comes back with Dyer, uh, all the people were slaughtered from Lake's team, but Lake is missing, and he took the dogs with him. And then all the creatures are gone, except for the ones that were mutilated beyond recognition, like they were already dead. So it's okay. the The creatures were alive, but I guess they were sleeping or something. And then it's at the end of the story after uh, Dyer and uh, Dansworth is one of the students Dan, that's with them. Dan, they Dan explore. Dan yeah, they climb the mountain and they realize it's not a mountain. It's this gigantic city and it's, you know, the mountain's taller than Everest, but it's this huge cyclopean geometry styled city with angles you could never comprehend. Again, that doesn't make sense. But they go, 
they go down further and further into the subterranean uh, ancient civilization. You said they saw murals and statues and stuff and carvings that basically somehow they're able to read as a story that right. tells, you know, it's all narration and description, but they uh, break down what happens and then they run into like the Shogoth, they run for their life, they escape. I think they're in a helicopter, or probably a small airplane, a uh, small airplane, and they leave. And then I think it's Dansworth looks back and he sees something, uh, which is mentioned, I think, in the murals that one of the actual older gods, think of Cthulhu or one of them, uh, is in a range beyond the city in a far, like higher part of the mountain. And it would just be gigantic or unfathomably en enormous. So Dansworth saw this. He couldn't comprehend it. He goes mad and... You are not. You don't see it, and H.P. Lovecraft doesn't explain what he sees. But you're led to believe that it was one of the actual ancient uh, beings versus the ancient beings that the the team found, which were not as old. And again, I don't. And most of the ancient creatures went underwater, like Cthulhu and stuff. They went to the bottom of the ocean. So I don't know because the Shogoths took over, and also I think everything became inhospitable. Because H.P. Lovecraft was very smart, so he knew that Antarctica at one time was a tropical zone. And then once it froze over, these beings wouldn't be able to live there anymore. So I don't know. Maybe the creatures are frozen or something. I forget. Yeah, but I don't know how. I, I, I didn't get understand that either. I do want to say, though, I think I think what happened with the Cthulhu creatures, uh, I think he said that the Elder Ones came to Earth first. Then they created the Shogoths. The Shogoths and the Elder Ones fought several times. And I think eventually the Shogoths defeated these things, and besides what was left over for whatever reason. Yeah. And then, but then there was a point where, I don't know if they fought the Elder Ones also, but anyway, the, the Cthulhu things came from space also, and they started a war on Earth. And so I, like, I don't know, <laughs> we don't really know, I guess, where these things come from. So we don't know like what how whose generation is older, but technically the Cthulhu group is the newest group of these three that we know from the story story. Yeah. But yeah, we don't know we don't have any idea really where or how those things are still down there. How the Shogoth thing that we do see at the end is still fully alive and <laughs> able to roll around and attack things. Also, there's giant penguins. Yeah, I was just thinking that giant albino penguins. <laughs> there, they were the ancient beings' cattle, and I didn't understand why their cattle were big penguins. Like, what is, <laughs> what did that have to do with anything? I didn't, it I just, didn't get that because they're just like lumbering around all the time. Yeah, it was comical. It was comical reading it, and then, um, well, Caleb lent me. There's, there's a, a two-volume version of, uh, at the Mountains of Madness in graphic novel form. It's way across my room right now, but it's uh, so I can't give you the author. But it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, I forget why I brought that up. <laughs> it gives detail though to the story, which oh. is lacking in the story. Yeah, well, I was gonna say because that you see the penguins in there, it, so I was gonna <laughs> say it's comical reading it, and it's just as comical seeing the illustrations. They don't do they don't do anything to make them not look funny. <laughs> yeah, just giant penguins for no reason. <laughs> I didn't understand, like, what kind of cattle was that? What were they doing with them? Taking right. the eggs or something? I don't know. 
sec. Brewski time. Yep, I forgot to crack it open before the show. Yeah, and oh, and I wanted to go back. I didn't realize until you said it just now that Danforth was seeing like another god in the in the distance. Because when it's I read so it, vague, it's hard to decipher yeah. through the, the style of writing. Yeah, when I read it, all I read was that they saw a a taller mountain in the distance, and the sky looked a certain coloring that was like like mystical or whatever. And but it, basically, it wasn't a mountain; it was a being. Yeah, now that you say that, had. that makes so much more sense. Because something I was gonna bring up is I do not under I did not understand why Danforth was like like went insane after that. I was like, wait, he saw the Shogoth and a mountain and went insane? And <laughs> He realized there were horrors beyond recognition, like things that humankind could not... Basically, it was the existential dread uh, and the crisis that goes along with that to a ridiculous degree because once that thing is introduced, as a human, you realize, oh, we're... Because the same thing with the Call of Cthulhu. When he sees Cthulhu, you're like, oh, shit, we're not just easily disposed of creatures. We're completely insignificant. And if these things could be on Earth, what else could be out there? And then it just drives you mad, apparently. And just seeing something that's bigger than the biggest mountain known to man would be ridiculous. Right. <laughs> be outrageous. Imagine seeing a being that's like twice the size of Mount Everest. That'd be pretty crazy. It would put Godzilla would, to shame. I would love to see that, though. Have you been hearing about the UFO stuff lately on the news? Yeah, they're having like hearings about it or something. Sounds awesome. They said something about how the ships are in cubes within spheres. <laughs> cubes within spheres. Okay. I like geometry. So Danforth goes crazy. Why is Dyer still still so uh ha- have such wits about him that he's able to enumerate this story to the public in a very fanciful and floral way? Well, I think H.P. Lovecraft borrowed from the tale of Lot and his wife in the Bible where, you know, they're leaving Sodom and God tells them they can't look back or something bad will happen. Lot's wife looks back. She gets turned into a pillar of salt. Lot doesn't look back and he gets to keep his sanity in, in this regard. he In that, he didn't get turned into a pillar of salt. So Danford looked back. He goes insane and uh, Dyer does not look back. So he gets to keep some semblance of his sanity though he is a broken husk of a man for the rest of his life who becomes obsessed with the Necronomicon. I missed that too. I I thought he looked back also, but that makes so much more sense. Yeah, he did not see the thing that Danford saw. That's uh. why he wasn't able to... Well, again, you do have to realize the way this is written, like the epistolary style of writing only gives you the narrator's perspective and no other mm-hmm. perspective. So if he didn't see what Danford saw, obviously he's not going to be able to describe it. And if he didn't see things that killed other characters, that's why he can't describe it. So when a lot of these things people say were just lazy on Lovecraft's part, where, oh, he just, a horror that's undescribable. Well, obviously the narrator's not going to be able to describe it if he didn't see it. So it's not lazy if you go from that view. It's just uh, people get mad because they want to see it. Especially nowadays, we want to see these things. Uh, we want him described to us, but the narrator didn't see it or else he would have been driven mad. And then if he was driven mad, he wouldn't have been able to tell us anyway. I love that kind of stuff. That's very clever. Uh, I, I'm liking this story more now that we're talking about it. 
I I do have an appreciation for epistolary writing. I wish I would incorporate into that into my stories more, but I just I don't know. It's a strange thing to write because if you write it, I feel like the whole story has to be that way. You know, like Dracula. That's just all letters and phonograms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I don't or telegrams. I don't um think I could sustain a long story that way. I don't know. I mean, it'd be something to try, but that's also. It seems like that's fallen out of favor in modern writing. Like I don't think people write epistolary style anymore. Well, especially because it was probably a tool used to put things out in pieces like this was in serial. Yeah, form. serialized. Well, also, I never thought about that. That's actually a good point. Um, I've discussed this on my podcast numerous times. It seems like in the beginning of fiction writing, people were very cognizant of who the narrator was. You couldn't just tell a story. You had to have somebody telling the story. You had a reason, especially in genres like uh, horror, uh, you had to have somebody telling the story for it to make sense to the author. Like, oh, I need somebody that is able to tell the story or how else is the reader getting the story? They couldn't really fathom the idea of just a story being told by nobody and the reader just accepting that like we do now. Like nowadays, you don't even really think about who's telling the story unless it's explicitly stated. But in the old days, it always had to be stated how the story is coming to you. And I always thought that was kind of fascinating because coming from modern, you know, as a modern reader, I don't care. But it does make a more immersive read when it's like, oh, no, I know that Dyer's telling me this story because it's from his letters. And I know something bad happened because he said something bad happened at the very beginning. But if it was just told in a normal third person style with no narrator, just, you know, some omni omnipotent author writing the story, you probably wouldn't be as invested. It's funny because I always think about that when I'm reading fiction. I like I, I always want to know who the who the narrator is. And sometimes, like you said, it's nobody. It's just the author. But it does make it so it, it draws you in so much more when they're part of the story. Uh, and you know that they have something at stake as well, instead of the author who is just a thir- what third person ob- omniscient or whatever. Yeah, and, and they have they're just they have full control over what happens, and no harm comes to them, no matter what they say or or do uh, about these about the characters and what they're actually taking part in. I think that's but, yeah. why it's so much easier to write in first person because you already have your set narrator. Right. So, what do you think about? You were talking about the uh, Shogoths, about how they came from, or no, the Shogoths eventually became human. They're evil. I never the- got the, I never got the specifics of if they just eventually turned into human. I don't think that's necessarily it. Uh, I want to say that they probably went the way that the the things that created them did. Like they tried to create something that would service them, so they created yeah. humans. That's what I would assume. That's probably true. Uh, that sounds familiar, actually. So, do you think the Shogoths are evil creatures? I don't think they're capable of being evil because they're almost... I mean, they're not robotic, obviously, but they were created with... Supposedly created without sentience, I think? I'm not sure. Because because they could... I forget. It was something about them being able to not just change their shape, but their thought at will. So, I don't know. Like, you know, if they want to be a penguin, they could be think like a penguin, I guess. I don't know. Something like that, but... But they I don't were always, think I think I also read they were somewhat bound by the thought of the elder ones since that where they came from. That's where they came from. 
yeah, almost like a hive mentality kind of. Yeah. Like you think of like a lot of alien stories now where it's the mothership and the like uh, bees. Oh, it's the queen bee rules them all and they just think, you know, in a hive setting. Uh, I don't know if it's like that or not because how would they rebel? It's it's confusing uh, and it's been so long since I read these stories. I, I can't give you a straight answer, but it's definitely worth going back through and reading the stories for you reading them for the first time. But even so, I don't think you're going to get it. Like, because yeah. I didn't, I was so burnt out on Lovecraft. I I did most of the stories. I didn't do it. Like, I like to research stuff after I read it. There was so much, and it was so dense. I was like, I can't. I'm already, my brain's already melted. I don't want to go into these that much deeper. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, um, at the end of the story, when you when you encounter the the Shogoth, and before that, when you encounter the when they come across the the elder one that was just recently like its head was just recently bitten off or yeah sucked off <laughs> uh it reminded me actually <laughs> because we were playing this with metroid it reminded me of a metroid um yeah because in super metroid you, you don't you only encounter them actually like uh, in like one or two rooms at the very end of the game but the way they attack you is by getting on top they're kind of like jellyfish so they get on top of you and like they get the like the top part of you inside of them and they just like chew on you but by the end of the game like you think they're actually like enemies and stuff because they're like i think i I, my impression is that the reality is they're they're simple creatures and they're just defending themselves because you're coming into contact with them but they end up helping you at the end of the game so uh really they're 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 just animals um so i was wondering if the shogoths were similar and it was just funny because they they function just like, like Metroid, like they're gooey, like gelatinous creatures, and yeah. and they also attack by sucking. <laughs> um, well, I'm look I'm lo- I'm looking at the Super Metroid box uh, bosses here, and a lot of them could be creatures in an H.P. Lovecraft story. Hmm. So you have Ridley, which is more of a pterodactyl kind of being. Uh, but then we go on, so we have Kraid, which is like a big lizard dinosaur looking thing. But then once you get past those, then you get like Mother Brain. That's pretty, you know, it's like a big brain thing. So that's that's kind of like color out of space. I think had a brain in a jar, so I get that imagery. Uh, then you get the spore spawn, which is a, now we're getting to like the weird funguses and vegetation, which comes up a lot in Lovecraft's work. Uh, Fantoon is another one. That's like, isn't that, wasn't that like a ghost? alien monster with a big eyeball like a squid looking thing yeah yeah uh i got dragon which is uh almost a dinosaur plant looking thing so a lot of these beings come across as hp lovecraft monsters like it if you were to describe the monsters in a way that somebody was able to draw i would get a lot of these creatures i think and then once you get to the metroids you know the big sucking brain looking leech things it's just a lot of H.P. Lovecraft imagery did bleed over into the creation of the aliens in Metroid. And uh, I always love that. That's one of the reasons I really love that series. Yeah. And I uh, I was thinking also, I mean, I guess it's kind of a known thing, but it's just insane how pervasive Lovecraft's influence is on everything in our culture. I mean, mm-hmm. everything, everything spooky in particular, like you wouldn't have the horror movies that we have if he never wrote what he wrote like oh for sure like none of them 
and especially the ones that are like in between sci-fi and horror. He just it's just funny because like I mean I guess I guess nowadays reading what people like to read is different, but it's it's funny because he's not at first the most enjoyable read uh be, because of like because of the way he writes cuz he was like antisocial and didn't know how people really talked and so he mostly just explained things and described things but it's just it's funny that someone who writes like that and i mean even if you even if you compare compare him to, in general to other writers he doesn't like super hold up except for his content but just because of that and like how creative his imagination was to create these things these uh beings that are nothing like anything else you'll read anywhere unless they're already influenced by lovecraft um but yeah like it's a lot like poe where the ideas often outshine the original text right yeah super cool and just to take a second i I wrote down a couple of words that he, he used a couple of times that i was like where in the world did you get these are they even really words bizarrery a bizarrery is that like a when you go to a bazaar it's uh when something or it's i think it's a collection of bizarre things yeah bizarrery like that just reminds me because i uh i wrote a hp lovecraft inspired story years ago called the bazaar of the blind and it was about a bazaar in a like an Egyptian style city, and then the deeper you go, you end up going into another dimension of ancient alien monster thing. It's, it's an interesting story. Mm, I don't know if it holds up. I haven't read it in years, but <laughs> it was fun to write. It sounds sweet. Transmontane. Transmontane. I have no idea on that one. I think he only used that once at the end, and I think it just means like uh, across the mountains. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Cartouches cartouches no clue cartouche it's a rounded convex surface usually surrounded with carved ornamental scroll work so like certain parts of the sculptures and murals they were reading okay that's all i wrote down there's a lot of other ones though he used cartouches like a million times he uh had a very large vocabulary and probably slept with the thesaurus so <laughs> Oh, let's talk about the graphic novel a little bit. What did you think of some of the like they? It, it was cool how they added. They actually added dialogue to the graphic novel because there's that's. I mean, kind of have to. Comics or are boring. just yeah. Comics are just pretty much dialogue. So, uh, they did that, but the illustrations were also interesting because you'll probably find like millions of different variations of Lovecraft illustrations because the way he describes things are so vague <laughs> the uh yeah it, it's it's always written in a way that you would not actually be able to draw so you, no matter who's doing the you know the painting drawing sketch whatever it is it's always going to be just off of the creator's imagination not off of lovecraft because you can't cre- even cthulhu all the what cthulhu looks like from modern artist isn't actually what Cthulhu looks like because we have no idea really because it's not described you can't we know he's got tentacles and he's giant like or like face tendrils or something but it's just it's never explicitly stated this is exactly what he looks like and this is or even is he a man we don't know like is it a male you know I don't think that's even told (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time since I read his description, but I do remember that it didn't it didn't sound quite exactly like what the cover looked like. I was trying to look up that uh, at the Mountains of Madness manga I let you borrow, and I was trying to see. Okay, I, I was I wanted to see if there was a because that was a Gu Tanabe. I was mm-hmm. trying to see what inspired a Japanese author to do a Cthulhu esque story, you know, something set in the Lovecraft universe. Because is there we, we probably should have looked this up because Metroid's obviously a Japanese made game. So is there a Lovecraft Gaiju connection? Like the Godzillas and the Mothras and their love for giant sea monsters. Does that have something to do with Lovecraft? Or did perhaps Lovecraft get inspired from classic Japanese monsters that were in mythology? Hmm. That would be something worth investigating. Yeah, it would. Because you'd think did... one inspired the other at some point. Right. Did you what did you just look that up or no? I tried. I couldn't find any information on it just by, at a glance. Hmm. Because if you think about it, a lot of Lovecraft's monsters are very similar to what Japanese monsters would look like from the sea, like these weird fish things. Yeah. Maybe if I'm more specific in my shirt uh, search here. Japanese. Japanese Kaiju HP Lovecraft. Let's see what that comes up with. I found a discussion board about it. It says, yeah. can Godzilla be considered Lovecraftian? Um, I got a cool uh, wood art illustration of Cthulhu coming out of the Great Wave of Kawagawa, which I, you know, it's fucking cool. <laughs> like I want that now, because <laughs> I, I always love that wood cut. Like it's so, you know, this is a classic wave. It's so cool. But then you got Cthulhu monster coming out of it, and he's <laughs> snatching up sweet. the boat and the oarman. I love that. Oh man, these these guys you with the HP Lovecraft illustrations are fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. This is almost like some Juji Ito stuff. Shogun. By the way, for the folks who are listening who are unaware of H.P. Lovecraft, um, like the Shogoths and Cthulhu and all these creatures, from my understanding, going through the mythos, the human tongue actually cannot pronounce any of these names. You have to pull out your tongue <laughs> to be able to pronounce Cthulhu. So whenever you see these names, technically you're not supposed to actually be able to pronounce them at all. So in the mythology, any of these names for these elder beings, we aren't able to actually say. So when a character brings up one of these beings in the name of it, it's not the real name. (laughs) That's silly. (laughs) It really is. So not only did he create these long-lasting characters, but he created characters that you can't even pronounce their names, really. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't know what they look like, yet they're so famous. That is very hard to do. And then he wrote it in the way he did. If he came out at any other time in history, I don't think anyone would have gave his stuff a second read. Yeah, no way. He would have not became that part. It was just because it was like the first... He created cosmic horror. I think that's what it was. Yeah. It's kind of like what we talked about with Raymond Chandler. Like, he... If people wrote that way today, it would be in the the scrap pile. At, nobody would read it. Yeah, nobody. But they just timed it right. <laughs> they did it when they needed to, and and now. To it's, be fair, Lovecraft was not successful at all in his era. He died broken, destitute. Like he did not make any money. I mean, he made his living writing, but it might as well have been nothing. Like he hmm. uh, was not celebrated for his writing during his life. 
he was just he was only publishing these you know weird magazines like these goofy pulp magazines. Same with Robert E. Howard. And Robert Robert E. Howard, I think, died at thirty, killed himself, and he made his living from writing. And he created like Conan and these characters that are still used today. Like they're still Conan comic books and stuff. But in their time, they were not unlike Raymond Chandler. They were not making a great living off of writing. Like they weren't celebrated. And people just thought, oh, you're just writing the fun. It almost like being a comic creator back then. Oh, you just draw those funny books, huh? Like, you're not an artist. <laughs> they don't give a shit about you. So back then, as if you're a pulp writer, you're just, you're not anywhere in the, the consideration of the Hemingways and Fitzgeralds and real writers, you know? Uh, so that's got to be, like, disappointing when skill-wise, like, Lovecraft, like, his language and use of... Uh, like his vocabulary and use of the English language was so much beyond, like higher beyond the levels of a lot of writers at the time. Yet he's not celebrated at all. <laughs> like nobody gave a shit about him, that's and so he died in a, almost unknown. It's so frustrating to think about because that's how most people are, probably. I mean, especially yeah. today. Like, what are the odds that our stuff is gonna like break out and become super popular? Very, very low. So, but we just keep doing it because it's what we like to do, and. It's like the thing that means the most to us. But ultimately, it's probably going to be the same result. <laughs> We're going to die poor and uh, alone. But <laughs> uh, you'll, get, you'll make it once you're dead. Somebody yeah. will pick up one of your old the, poetry collections and go, this guy right. was a genius. So how frustrating. Like they, had, so like they had no idea that they were going to be popular before they died? Nope. As far as Lovecraft was concerned, everyone hated him and he was just, he died and nobody cared about him and his work. Uh, and you know what's even sadder? So you have him. At least Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft got to see their work published, though. So they got to know that the, the stuff was out there, at least. Kafka, <laughs> one of the most famous writers in history, considered one of the greatest writers, Franz Kafka, died without having any success. I don't even know if his stuff was published at all. And he told his brother, I believe it was, to just burn all his work. He's a loser. He <laughs> sucks. Fucking terrible. And then he dies, and then everyone's like, that guy was great. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> he got to die thinking he was the worst writer in history of writers, Jesus. and then he gets to be considered one of the best ever. Like, that's that sucks. That is terrible. <laughs> I, I, How it, depressing. It's so weird. It's like I just read something about Sinead O'Connor dying and how everyone suddenly is on is the Sinead O'Connor fa- yeah, the train. And uh, like, why do people have to do that? I mean, it's great that they're celebrating that. Like, I couldn't imagine they didn't celebrate Lovecraft after he died, but it's so phony. I'm sure she could have used the song streams the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that she just got after her death. <laughs> it, like, it's like messed up. I, I mean, I guess, I guess regardless, it's good that people celebrate something after. I mean, at some point, that's worthwhile. That's worth celebrating. Mm-hmm. But. You know how phony, and then and then it brings about like I don't know if you experienced this probably, but like the people who I guess more like teenagers or people who know that know very little about books and stuff, and they cling to popular things. Like I mean, like you know, like the hipster thing to do, or the yeah. you know cling to Lovecraft or Poe or whatever stuff like that. So it's, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what drives me insane. Whenever they want a character to be smart in a movie or TV show, for some reason they love Moby Dick. 
Um, I know in the Gilmore Girls, Rory's favorite book in the beginning of that was the fucking Moby Dick, and I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> no teen, no young teenage pre adolescent like adolescent girl is loving Moby Dick. I'm yeah. sorry, I don't care how smart you are, but at least <laughs> that one they made it so it was consistent throughout her arc that she always loved that kind of stuff. But I remember uh, my wife watched what it was one of those cancer movies, one of those uh, you know YA romance cancer movies, uh, Fault in Our Stars, I think it was. Yeah, and then I think it was one of those deals where it was like. I don't remember specifically if there was like a book they were reading, but it was like that intellectual, we'll just throw something in there that sounds smart, and that's what one of the characters is going to like. Uh, I hate that. Like in um, Parks of Being a Wallflower, I actually like that movie, but I remember it was like they were into like, you know, retro punk music from the 80s, and mm. it's like, no, you're not. Like, you don't you don't like that. <laughs> like, you're not that cool. Shut up. You're like you're supposed to be a teenager. That's just stupid. Oh, you have good taste in you like the Smiths or the Kinks or like do you, no, they don't ever get into specifics of it either. It's like, oh, why do you actually like it? You don't know. It just has to be surface level to make them sound interesting, right? A fucking Riverdale shows like that too. I remember my wife watched that just because we're gonna be doing a Riverdale book sometime soon, <laughs> and it was just like I think uh, to make uh, I don't know, maybe it was Jughead or something in the show stand out. I think he read some kind of, you know, they always bring up like oh, Catcher in the Rye or. Just something stupid to make them sound smart. It's like, I hate that. You don't like it. Nobody, yeah. you don't even know what it is. It's just always some writer. very typical like that, too. Like, it's something that's it's always, hundreds of years old or whatever. Like, yeah. Come on. Catcher in the Rye, Moby Dick. It's, it's, it's the same to kill a mockingbird. It's the same yeah. things over and over again. They just look up a list of best novels and then they just pick one. And that's what this character likes because right. they're smart. I remember in the beginning of, I'm ashamed to say I watched the whole series One Tree Hill. Uh, <laughs> I remember the that, beginning. That's not me. <laughs> I remember the beginning of that. They made the main character look smart by reading Julius Caesar, and he always had like a paperback in his back pocket or something like that. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he's just a doof. Doofus. So, back to the graphic novel. Um, <laughs> I digress a little bit. I think I really like the way they illustrated everything for how nearly impossible it is to illustrate all of those creatures. The Shogoths were pretty much how I pictured them, I think. Just like, I mean, I mean, it's a blob with eyes. It's kind of like, it, yeah. you know, it looks like a bunch of fish eggs, kind of. Pretty much. Uh, the the Elder Ones, I just don't get it. They, like, when they find them um, still, like, just standing up, like, they're just, they just look like plants. That's basically how I imagine them. They, they're just, like, columns. They sort of yeah. have that, like, that, like, open open flower star head kind of like how it's kind of like the stranger things yeah i was trying to think of what it's called the demogorgon the demogorgon's or, head when it opens his mouth it looks kind of like that and then it's supposed to have like tentacles at certain places or something like that they didn't they didn't do that too too much in the illustration but the weirdest thing to me was when they showed them um as as dire was like narrating the the murals they showed the the elder ones like flying because they have wings and in the book they describe the wings as fan like so i didn't really know how to picture that i just i mean i just pictured like like a like a paper fan like they fold out like a wing yeah you know and in the graphic novel they illustrated it like an oscillating fan <laughs> like, yeah. like a helicopter 
<laughs> so they, yeah, they show weird. these things flying around like helicopters. And, you know, I just don't get the, <laughs> uh, what's the word, the anatomy of the Elder Ones because they don't really have a face. They say there's an eye. I don't really get where the eye is. <laughs> and, and I don't You're get not how they supposed to get it. Though. They're like You're flying. Not supposed to know. They're flying columns, <laughs> plant-like flying to columns. Understand? They're undescribable. <laughs> they're indescribable. Don't you know that? He describes them for pages and pages, but then they're indescribable. I'm just, but yeah, but like just because we have the graphic novel the, or the manga, um, it's just funny. Like <laughs> certain things look exactly as you'd expect, and, and other things are like, huh? What? Um, they took artistic liberties, I guess. I guess. I should look at the end of that. Did they? Did you? Did this? I was just gonna ask you. Did you? That's what I'm looking up at the end when they flying through the mountain. Did you? Did they show a monster? I don't remember. I Here. don't think so. I'll go pick it up. Hold on. Pick it up. Okay. Let's see. Just for the listeners who are thinking about picking up that manga, though, the illustration, like the art in it, is amazing. It is. It's especially like the mountain scenes. And if you want to look it up, it's just called At the Mountains of... It's it's H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness by Gotanabe. G-O-U-T-A-N-A-B-E. I have another collection he did as well. Uh, I think it's just H.P. Lovecraft Stories. I don't remember if I read that one, though. Hmm. That'd be cool, I'm too. I'm just looking at the big penguins. <laughs> I like the big penguins. <laughs> it's just stupid. How do you say the the way the, the thing that the Shogoths say? I don't remember. Tickly Lee. So here are some of the famous H.P. Lovecraft monsters while you're looking up that picture. We have the OG Cthulhu. We have Azathoth. We have... No, I never could say this one. Nihilarthotep. We have Yog sothoth Shub... I'm not saying that one because that's the N-word. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Just look up, look, you look that one up for yourself. Uh, Shogoth. Damn, I forgot H.P. Lovecraft was mad racist. Um, <laughs> uh, Dagon, Deep One, the Call of Cthulhu. Well, Call of Cthulhu is not a, that's just a story. The Elder Thing, uh, Astor, Migo, Night Gaunt. I like the Night Gaunt. Uh, Tasothagaga, Gaga, Gugaga, Gatana Kathathatho, Ghoul, Flying Polyp. Oh, flying polyp. Ew, that's gross. <laughs> uh, Bokrug. Cthugaha. Ithaqua. I think he just put letters together in some of these. Ran to Goth and Moonbeast. So, those are some of the... Uh... Damn, he really went with the N-word for a name of a monster. That's crazy. <laughs> Who would have thunk that one? And I read that story, too. And for some reason, I just I didn't even think of that when I read the story. Man... He could at least want like one G to make it less racist. What a fuckhead. <laughs> he actually has a story. Um, I think it's just called, it's just the N word, the name of it. And I think his cat was also the N word. Really? That was the name of the cat. Yeah, he was like an asshole. Jeez. So, he looks yeah. like an asshole. He does look like an asshole. There's one picture on the internet you can find where he's actually smiling, kind of, and it's creepy, and he looks like a dickhead. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't like this stuff because of... Well, here's the thing about H.P. Lovecraft, because you know, everyone tried to cancel him recently, and it's like, how do you cancel a guy that's been dead for like almost 100 years? That's kind of stupid. I understand he was a racist piece of shit, but that doesn't mean you can't like the characters he created. 
after he's long dead. The only problem with the guy is like even during his time he was a racist piece of shit. Because like some people defended, well, it was just it was a you know part of his time. No, he was still an asshole in his time. Like his thought, his opinions on things were horrible. His ideals were awful. Huh? I had no idea. Yeah. I guess you just assume that these people are all. I guess you shouldn't assume. But. Isn't it funny for some reason when you think of writers, you tend to think of writers as not being racist assholes, even though you know <laughs> nothing about them. I don't know why. Just anytime I come across a writer, I never think, oh, that guy's probably a homophobic, a homophobic bigot or right. a fucking racist asshole or hates Jews or you never generally don't think of that. But most of the time, it's actually there's something like there's there's <laughs> terrible something. Should do a whole episode one day on just racist asshole writers. <laughs> And like it turns out we can't read anybody. Authors who are racist. Yeah. I had one last thing I want to talk about. Did you have you ever looked up whether or not uh like how extensive Antarctica was ex- has been explored? Mm, I have not. Actually, before that, just want to touch on <laughs> I I talked in, me- in the Metroid episode about how uh how important the music was to the feeling of isolation and stuff like that. And how it has that very subtle, like the, the little beeps, if there's even music at all. And it's and all the music is very precise for each each uh, region that you're in. Um, all right. Uh, they, I just wanted to add how interesting it was. And I still don't fully understand it. But how the whole time they're traveling through the Cyclopean City, uh, that they talk about like a musical piping in the background somewhere. Yeah, it gives it an ambiance. Yeah, and you sort of feel like... It, it's kind of interesting how similar the two stories are. But, I mean, it just goes to show how, like, everything is inspired off of Lovecraft, whether it's uh, Metroid or Alien or video games or movies like those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I wanted to see how extensive Antarctica was has been explored. And I, it, I didn't find, like, a clear, clear answer, but because... This story is about exploring the depths of Antarctica below the surface where it's difficult to access. And uh, it's the first time anyone's actually gone into the depths of Antarctica because most of mostly people fly over and take notes of the geography and uh, and actually accessible things that you can land on and, you know, things that you can actually reach as a human being without freezing to death. It has been pretty mapped out, but I did read that uh, it hasn't been completely explored because it's so vast and uh, inhospitable and it's difficult to access and navigate. Um, Scientists and explorers have been studying and mapping the continent for many decades, and while we do know a lot about it, there's still plenty of areas yet to be explored, especially in the interior of the continent. So for all Mm. we know... Listeners, there might be elder ones and Shogoths out there. What do you want? A cool fact? In 2018, they actually found new mountain ranges in Antarctica because the ice was melting. Hmm. And you want to know a cooler fact? What? There are some mountains they found that are underground that are three to four times taller than Mount Everest. Underground mountains. How how does that work? I don't know, but it's cool as fuck. Where Again, was that? maybe it has something. In that one, yeah, that one just came out. Um, yeah, this is a brand new story. The the mountains under underground mountain peaks are called ultra low velocity zones. Uh, could I? Oh, I can't see the whole. I thought it was one of those stupid pay yeah. paywall articles. I actually can see it. 
They use uh, the seismo seismology centers in Antarctica and found astonishingly, astonishingly, astonishingly huge mountains in the boundary between the core and mantle. So they had to use uh, seismology equipment, and they found gigantic mountains underground. So there could be a Cyclopean city under there. Probably is. If you figure Antarctica was once not only a hospitable zone, but a jungle, who the hell knows what was living there? That's so weird to think about. I don't. I, I can't like fully imagine how they figured that. So it's like in the. Is it? Like, oh, you said it's in, between the core and the mantle. So yeah. It's in the, I don't. How are there mountains? At the base like of the a earth. cave, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, all a mountain is is when the earth pushes together and it forms mountains. That can happen underground as well. There's also mountains under the ocean. Like at the bottom of the ocean, there's mountains. Yeah, I guess so. So I think it would be I the same I, thing. It's I just can under picture there. the under the ocean one. I can't picture it under the ground. Because if it's under the ground, the ground is there. So how can they measure how tall a mountain is? Hmm, that's a good question, Bryce. Let me look. <laughs> oh, they got pictures of the new... There's a, They found a new pyramid in Antarctica. No shit. That's creepy. Oh, man, it is. It's like a perfect... It looks like a mountain, but it looks like a Egyptian pyramid. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. Man, there's aliens in Antarctica. Don't... Everything H.P. Lovecraft wrote was actually just true. Let's just say that, okay? I would agree. For the sake of argument... Okay, I got a picture of the underground mountain. It is does not help me at all into picturing it. <laughs> it's just like a like you know it shows the layers of from topsoil to underground mountain. Yeah, that's I'm something worth uh, exploring though. That is pretty cool. Yeah. All right, you got anything else? I thought this story was cool, though I didn't care for the writing style too much. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is better at short stories. Than longer works, at least reading wise. I enjoy reading short stories versus these super long ones. So, like I said, Shadow Over Innsmouth is a longer one, and that was one of my favorite stories of his. I think it just depends on um, the, the stuff you like. So, if you like Cyclopean cities and underground, you know, civilizations, you probably really like this story. Though I don't think that was the focus of the story for most of it. If it was mostly set in that place, I would have been more about it. Yeah, I would agree for the most part. I did really like his writing in this one, though, despite his style. I think it's harder to read his just descriptions and explanation and all that. I think it's harder to read that in other stories, but this mm -hmm. one in particular was easier, I think, because it was in the epistolary format. Yeah. I, I Because he's, it's like he's talking to someone. So, it, like, even though it's not dialogue, it's almost like you're reading just dialogue in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, because he's trying to convey information for the public and and to like warn people from going there again. I think my main issue with the story, honestly, was when I read this story, which was probably more than five years ago, uh, my reading level was a lot lower. Like if I read this story now, I probably would enjoy it a lot more because I would understand it more. Mm -hmm. I think back then I just wasn't reading dense literature so much So because I remember... I think around the same time I read Moby Dick and I had trouble with some of that because I just kept getting bored. So I think now if I would go back and read Moby Dick, I would like that a lot more as well because my reading level has just gone up over the years. I probably would too. I, I read Moby Dick when I was first starting to write uh, seriously, like when I was doing fiction in college. And I wrote my first short story after that and it was just like fucking garbage. 
because <laughs> I was just trying, I was trying I like collected the ridiculous old vocabulary from Moby Dick and I just tried to use all those words <laughs> and I didn't have, I didn't have any idea for an actual story so I was like very novice at that time in my reading and if I read that again I I have trouble skipping parts I know everybody skips the whale parts but if I read it again I would read the whole thing because I don't like skipping things but I think I would probably enjoy it and it would mean more to me if I read it now yeah we haven't done this consistently I think we only did it for the first two episodes, but what'd you like better, the book or the game? Oh, the game for sure. I, yeah. I enjoyed the game thoroughly, where and I could play the game over and over. Versus the book, I have no intention of going back and reading. <laughs> Though I will say, I enjoyed the manga more because it had pretty pictures, and you know, makes you feel special when you see the pictures. You like pictures? I like pictures. <laughs> I'd agree. I'm just such a huge, huge Metroid fan. I. I yeah I definitely won't ever read this again but I do want to read the rest of this stuff at least the Cthulhu mythos I am really interested just to see how that all mm. unravels and get more of it uh, I did want to ask you this though after playing Metroid again and then reading the story you read it afterwards or during or I think I read them at the same time okay well did play well since you played metroid in the past anyway right. the atmosphere of metroid and some of the imagery and just like the levels did that help you visualize when you were reading at the mountains of madness did it help your experience be a little more enjoyable i think i know that would be for me um yeah it was definitely more enjoyable because i i think i i think that's why i like doing this podcast to be honest because I think, like, I, I mentioned this in the trailer, actually, to, of the show. I, it used to be, like, I'd either be playing a video game or I'd be reading. And my, whatever I'm reading would typically make me think of a video game in some way or another. Or, and then it would be the, the other way around. I'd be playing a video game and make me think of a book. I'm like, oh, I really want to read that. And I think doing both at the same time and do, playing a game and, and reading something that corresponds with the book or corresponds with the game in some way, it makes both more pleasurable because they complement each other. You know, the whole game doesn't complement the whole book and vice versa, obviously, but uh, in the ways that they do, it made it feel more important what I was doing. Like, it's not just I'm just sticking around playing a video game. I'm not just <laughs> screwing around reading a random story. I'm trying to figure out how these two relate to each other so I can have a message for for everybody um but yeah i think i think i said in the in the metroid episode um the ghost ship episode the ghost ship region and and specifically um reminded me of the feeling of the abandoned cyclopean city and that made me like excited to talk about this about both mm-hmm. yeah the monsters mm-hmm. didn't really they, they don't really translate i think because they're they're either very like very alien or very buggish or you know and i feel like lovecraft's monsters are always like everything all at once you know i think the metroid monsters are more kaiju versus lovecraftian kaiju yeah like the the metroid monsters are more for the most part look more like dinosaurs or you know like kaiju like mothra and like like things that you kind of you know versus the lovecraftian monsters which like you said are just everything you don't you can't really describe them yeah i would agree yeah okay you all set 
that's all I wanted to say. I like stuff. <laughs> I like <laughs> I like video games and I like books. I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> all right. Thanks, thanks everybody for listening. Stay tuned for our next couple of episodes. We're going to be talking about a recent video game called Oxenfree. I think it's available across platforms. It's on like Steam and Nintendo Switch and other stuff, probably. I haven't looked too deeply into it. Um, I already played it. I think Caleb still has to, right? I did not even start it. I beat Fear and Hunger like two more times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the following week, we're going to be discussing Riverdale Volume 1. How those two relate, you'll find out. (laughs) And so will we. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're enjoying the show, be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow and watch for us on Instagram at arcade bookshop underscore art. Excuse me at arcade underscore bookshop. Uh, that's our Instagram. You can look for our playing and reading schedule in the show notes or our Instagram so you can play and read along with us. If you have any game and book pairing recommendations, you can DM us on Instagram or shoot us a message at arcadebookshop at gmail.com. We would love to hear them because sometimes it's really hard to think of a book that goes with a game or a game that goes with a book. So we need ideas. Send them our way. Let's not forget Caleb and his life outside of this podcast. If you folks want to check out my fancy stuff, you can go to calebjamesk.com where I publish stories and... Uh, just other things, you know, my publishing history and whenever I feel like it's some of my musings. You can also, if you want to actually listen to me, well, I don't know why you would, but if you want to hear my voice even more than on here, you can listen to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast, which I host with my good buddy Spencer Church. We discuss fine literature, lowbrow literature, and the writing process that we have come to loathe and love at the same time. Uh, you can follow us at DPW Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and it's not Twitter anymore. It's just X. So I guess you can follow us on X, which is fucking stupid. <laughs> and uh, you can check us out on YouTube, but we do not have video. And I was thinking, Bryce, which we don't have the equipment or the money to buy the equipment to do. Imagine how cool this podcast would be if we can show some of the game. Like if we were playing when we talk about doing uh, Gravity's Rainbow and that fucking horrible mario birthday game <laughs> what if we could show us just rage quitting the mario birthday game like that would be so much fun of course we could just do a special episode where it's just us playing the mario video yeah. game and i we could probably figure out a way to do something like that at some point i looked into I, it and it, it takes a lot i mean does it remotely how we're doing it actually yeah. would be easy i think we could just record it but yeah. when i'm talking about in studio when mm-hmm. i have in my studio i would have to have multiple cameras and the editing would be irritating because then like you know, if I cut some stuff, then I have to cut the video and it just wouldn't be fun. But yeah. like the way we're doing this now it wouldn't be as bad. Still, though, if you cut stuff, you'd have to cut the video and it'd be choppy. Right. I have two things. So for everyone who keeps listening to this, I want to thank you so much for being patient with us as we figure out the sound quality stuff. I've been uh, I-, I went through a few different kinds of equipment. And uh, things are up and down. I know it sounds a lot better right now. Still figuring out levels and stuff. So just want to say thank you for being patient and uh, continuing to listen. All that kind of stuff. Because it's not as easy as I thought it would be. I think we're doing a good job. But uh, that. And also, if uh, if anyone has a really good idea 
to talk about Mario games and things like that in a literary way, I would pay you to send me your ideas to talk about those. Because I, I, I've i played some of those games, but I want to play all the Mario games. Uh, I'm currently playing Paper Mario right now because it's, it's going to be our roulette wheel episode from uh, a few episodes back that Caleb and I are supposed to both play. Um, <laughs> okay. And... But I, I have no idea how to talk about things like that in a literary way, um, unless it's just bullshit. And if you guys are okay with that, I'm okay with it too, but I'd like to take it seriously. So just throwing that out there. Notice he didn't say he'd pay you good money. He just said he'd oh, pay Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> give you a dollar. <laughs> Penny for your thought? <laughs> I'll give you a few a few pennies or dollars. Or shekels. dollar days. With that, thank you so much for listening again. Everybody, please do yourself a favor. Please stick a controller in one hand and your book in the other. <laughs>